Yes, here we are, another episode of Behind the Human. I am your host, Mark Champagne, and it's my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game personally and professionally. If you're enjoying the show, drop a review wherever you're listening, and please share out on the socials. It makes a huge difference. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. So, Ben, who are you? Yeah, so I am a now 29-year-old kid who was born and raised in Toronto um, with a really tight-knit family, sandwiched between two sisters, was pretty lucky growing up, had sort of one of those white picket fence-esque families that I I don't shy away from. I just feel a lot of gratitude for. Um, Had five grandparents until I was like 16 years old. Like I was just one of those really lucky kids growing up. And then, um, yeah, but I found I was taking shortcuts. I was always someone who was like looking how to break the rules. And I remember going to McGill, eventually got into McGill and went to McGill and thought I wanted to be in investment banking and really only saw dollar signs and had this epiphany on a beach in Mexico reading The Big Short. I like remember it so (laughs) distinctly and walking away and seeing everything that I thought my life was going to be sort of, yeah, come crashing down. Um, And I went back to my parents and said that I wanted to go be a doctor. My mom supported me and my dad called BS um, and... He did turn out to be right. I I didn't end up going to med school, but it it did really change the way that I looked at what I wanted to get from from work and from play and everything in between. And so... um, What was that like at that point? I mean, those are big... um, You're obviously summarizing things, but those are big decisions, right? Yeah. I've always really trusted my gut and my instinct. And I had sort of parents who were a little bit overbearing and in a good way who would make me like think through things and and push back and and make me slow down. Um, I actually, it's funny, funny examples. I, I got uh, accepted to Ivy at Western and all my friends were going to Western. And I remember the day I got accepted, I like was going to hit accept. And my mom's like, Whoa, just wait. You haven't heard back from McGill yet. And then sure enough, two days later I woke up and I was like, Whoa, I need to get away from those friends and like, yeah, see where life can take me. Um, And so yeah, I would say that I had this visceral gut reaction of, okay, you want more, you have no idea what that is, but like take a step away from the unknown and go venture into whatever comes next. And so I found a, like a, it was like a rotational program at AB InBev. So okay. I got to do a few different jobs and got to sort of get a sense of what I did like and what I didn't like. Um, I loved the project-based nature of it. I, I hated the idea of sitting in an office and doing the same nine-to-five job. Um, and so I went into management consulting for a little bit. Don't believe in consulting for the most part and felt like we were just like handing over reports. And I don't think change can come externally. And we were going around telling people how to do things that they had been doing a lot longer than we had. And so I just lost belief in that. And then I started feedback, which was the most exciting exhilarating two and a half years of my life that ended up in not quite working out how, <laughs> yeah, yeah. how, how you draw it up. Um, but learned so much through that process and especially about myself and how important sort of purpose and mission were. Um, and yeah. yeah. And then the, that two and a half year journey ended up in the biggest failure and the biggest success um, because failure business wise, but success sort of life trajectory wise, it really gave me a, um, a push and I ended up at Hopper with the rest of our team 
And now we've been working here for seven months, just looking around, feeling like the luckiest people in the world, getting to work on this exciting challenge with all the support, but also autonomy in the world to just, yeah, problem solve, which is what I guess I love to do. So cool. And, you know, I'll, I'll back things up just for, for the audience. We met at, a, at an event here in Toronto called Fuck Up Nights, um, where you described the whole scenario that, that went down with feedback. And, and I'll ask you to provide a bit of context on yeah. what, what that was. But, you know, here we are. We're at Hopper in, in Toronto. Um, things are feeling, seems like things are feeling good, but it was a hell of a road to, to get to where you're sitting right now, right? So why don't yeah. you explain a little bit? Because feedback, I mean, I remember landing on that webpage um, before going to the talk just to, to see a little bit more about you. And I'm like, wow, this, this is amazing. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. And the problem is that ideas are often amazing. And then you realize that it all comes down to execution. And, and yeah. there was just some big executional gaps that we couldn't have really um, identified until you just get into the weeds or we could have by doing the right product research, but we didn't even know what that meant at the time. Yeah. So, so yeah, the idea with feedback started, let's help restaurants reduce food waste. They, we know that a lot of restaurants are throwing out food at the end of the night. Could we create a mechanism that would allow restaurants to notify users right before close that they had extra food that they would discount to users? Yeah. Um, Brilliant. Yeah, it's again, the concept sounds brilliant. And there's actually a company in Europe doing a really good job called Too Good To Go. Um, And they've been able to leverage, I think, a more socially conscious uh, demographic in Europe, which is great. And and I think we should strive for that over here. But um, in Toronto, as we spoke to restaurant owners, they just didn't quite care enough to take the minute it took to update the app at the end of the day. They have so many things going on. They're worrying about staffing and ingredient costs. They're not thinking about generating another $10 of incremental revenue at the end of the day. You have to really have that sort of social uh, lens to, to take that step. And yeah, exactly. Shift behavior. It's the hardest thing in the world to do. I should have known that from my consulting days, but, um, (laughs) and so we realized though, that what we were essentially doing is using the laws of supply and demand to make a claim that price should change throughout the day. There's too much supply at the end of the day, not enough demand, we'll lower the price, figure out where they sort of hit and be able to sell that food. What if we could take that same idea using the basics of, of economics and change the price of food throughout the day based on not just supply and demand of inventory, but supply and demand of labor capacity and um, restaurant capacity. And so once we got there, we realized that feedback could actually be a lot bigger than just looking at end of day. And so while we held on to that end of day idea of how we could help restaurants reduce waste, we also realized that we could help restaurants really flatten that demand curve throughout the day. Um, and so that started to get some traction. We, we signed up 250 restaurants and we got, um, we got featured in blog to in the early days, which was a huge boost and, and largely because of the sort of social stance we were taking on what we were doing. Um, and we got some really good traction. We were doing, I think 11 months in, we were doing 350 orders a day through feedback, which was really cool. And like, is the dream when you start something. Yeah. The problem is that we weren't making any money. The, the economics just weren't there. Restaurateurs as is are dealing with a really low margin industry. And so in order to make, allow us to take a cut, for the restaurant to take a cut, and for the customer to have enough value to use another app, we just couldn't figure out an equation that all three could really derive value. And so once we realized that, um, we had to think about how to take all of our learnings. And at that point, it was really just the restaurant industry intimately. And pivot 
like every startup does at some point. Yeah. And so the idea was, okay, well, we've seen restaurant orders move from analog to digital. Now there's Ritual and Uber Eats and DoorDash and Fedora and, and everything. Yeah. Um, what if we could be platform agnostic? We didn't have to compete on acquiring users, but we could just build pricing software that would sort of power pricing across all those different apps. We could bring this idea of end of day pricing, but make it a plug-in for Uber Eats. So Uber Eats could use their audience and allow them to buy food at the end of the day that otherwise was going to go to waste. And so that was the idea is, well, hey. And then you leverage this these massive audiences that Correct. already exist. You don't right? have to worry about acquisition cost. Yeah. And so in your head, you sort of, our first problem <laughs> was, okay, the unit economics don't make sense. And then so you do, you you run the model and say, oh, but if we go SaaS, we don't have to acquire users. We just have to like get in front of restaurants. We get to leverage all of these users. Think about the impact you can make. Um, yeah, it sounded really good on paper. And, yeah. and a lot of people love the idea except for restaurants, which were the only people that actually <laughs> mattered. And so here we were with no real customers, but a hell of an idea and, and some pretty cool software that just didn't have a real appetite. And so yeah. once we realized that we were going to have to make another sort of big shift, we started saying, hey, maybe this has been an incredible journey and let's figure out a way to, um, yeah, create like generate as much value as possible for shareholders stakeholders being sort of the team um and maybe close this chapter of our lives and and um yeah a combination of luck and whatever else has it uh led us to meeting hopper and falling in love with their vision and their team and what we could learn from them and the opportunity that they provided to us and so here we are sitting at now hopper in toronto which was an office that we sort of started up six months ago yeah I mean, well, so thank you. There's so much I want to ask you about yeah. in that journey. <laughs> yeah. I before, talk fast too. No, so no, yeah. this is perfect. Um, what I'd love to know is how you were feeling in those moments mm -hmm. of like you have all this hype, mm -hmm. right? And, and from the outside, a lot of great things happening and, and not just from the outside. I mean, in general, those are all great, you know, features and this and that. Um, but you know, in the background, the business models or the, like you said, the equation is, is not really functioning. Mm -hmm. like there's, I just, A, I resonate with that just given I, I share the story with Keo, uh, yeah. or about Keo with, with you. Like, where, where was your mind at? Mm -hmm. Like, mixing those two realities. Yeah, I think, I think stage one was you can't really remove your ego from the equation when you're starting a company. And so... You're winning pitch competitions and you're gaining traction and your friends are all like, holy crap, I use feedback. You're walking into a restaurant and hearing someone say, hey, I'm here to pick up my feedback order. And it's just like, you can just feel your ego being like, wow, this is great and exciting. Yeah. And then you sort of get to stage two and you're like, okay, but is this like realistic? Is this going to work? And that was a really important step to like remove ourselves from the, from identifying ourselves as feedback itself. Cause like, that's where that sort of the, the real ego piece came in and saying, okay, is this a real business? And once we realized that the unit economics and the business didn't make sense, I saw the strong correlation between our blind spots and ego playing a role. And I think we did a really good job at that point of sort of stepping away and saying, hey, let's make this make sense and let's stop caring about hype and stop caring about false validation and traction and PR pieces and let's start worrying about our business. And that happened, I guess, a year or so into the journey. Okay. Um, and at that point, it was, so <laughs> it, it was a downhill 
road from there because we didn't have a business. And, and yeah. the further along we went, we realized that there actually was no real business that we had created. We had created a really cool hype machine and, and traction. Don't get me wrong. Like there was some product market fit there. Um, but there wasn't really a business. And so once we removed ourselves from that, it was a really tough, long slug to get to the point where we were looking over a cliff and being like, okay, wow, we've really got nothing here. <laughs> um, and How all of that feel, because that's, yeah, yeah. That's tough. Like your identity's wrapped up in this at this point. Yeah. So, so the identity, again, I was at that point more so thinking about the team and, and sort of getting people to take a bet on us and, and yeah. take low salaries and options. Sure. I was thinking about shareholders who had invested in us, yeah. um, who included like my parents and my, my brother-in-law, which I talked about at fuck up nights. Um, I was more so thinking about all those pieces and that was way harder than like what I was feeling myself at, at that sure. point personally. And I think that this is why I made it through the journey relatively unscathed and sane was because I was not really worried about myself. I felt like I had just done a two and a half year, like the most incredible MBA. I don't, yeah, MBA ever. Um, I had learned so much. I had built up this resiliency. I had, for the first time in my life, stepped away from my ego. I had learned, I could feel all of these lessons that I had learned that I knew were gonna serve me well for the rest of my life, that I wasn't concerned how I would land or end up, but I was really thinking about the team and the shareholders and and all of that. And that made me feel sick. It, it was a terrible, awful feeling. And I think that then the loop sort of, you close the loop and you realize that some of that disappointment is just realizing that you're gonna let people down and is that of ego, course. is that like, who knows? Oh, well, um, you're human. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, yeah, that was the toughest, I would say four months of my life to that point, I, I was, um, yeah, I, I like really wasn't sleeping very well. I was like very confused about what I should do and what I shouldn't do. I, I was bad at communicating because I'm generally always on the side of transparency. But like I was, I remember feeling this, uh, this tension between like, do I be that leader that makes the team feel confident that we're gonna figure this out because that's what I'm supposed to be? Or am I vulnerable and explain to them that we're really lost and they should start looking for jobs? Like I remember feeling that tension. Um, and it was, yeah, it was really, really tough and hard and crappy. Um, I was in Montreal at the time for like an accelerator that we were a part of. I think the space helped a lot. I didn't have to be talking about it with people. I was really just sitting by myself doing a lot of journaling, speaking to my girlfriend and my co-founders and my parents a lot. Um, and so I think that helped because I wasn't out having to put on face at a pre-drink, which is like the worst feeling in the world. (laughs) I hate, I hate that or making small talk with people I don't really care about. Um, and so I could at least be like genuine in how I was feeling, but it was, it was a low time. Yeah, of course. Mm -hmm. Well, and thanks for, I mean, you know, as much as I uh, want to kind of relive that with you so others can, can benefit, obviously, you know, that's, it's not the easiest thing to do or to rehash. Um, you did mention journaling. Obviously, yeah. you know there's a bit of a passion <laughs> on that front over here, especially yeah. with this podcast. And it's less about the practice for me, and it's more about the, the just the act of, or I shouldn't say, it's, it's more about the practice and less about the, the actual tools and whatnot that you're using. 
So I'm, I'm curious when you're going through that, like what kind of questions were you, mm-hmm. you know, reflecting on, or were you just unloading, you know, worries that were in your mind, like free writing, like how were you doing this? Stuff? Yeah. So I used something called a passion planner, um, which sort of asked me five prompting questions. I, at that point I was using it every week, which are, can I remember them all? It's so funny. Um, three things you learned this month, who you're most grateful for, how are you different this month than the last month? Mm. Um, how do you feel you were this month versus like the goals that you generally set out for yourself? Yeah. Um, but at that time in Montreal, I was doing a lot of sort of just free form writing. Mm. I think the biggest takeaway, what I was just trying to do is sort out what my responsibility was as a quote unquote leader of the company. I, I was very torn about where my responsibility ended. Um, sure. And, and like, was it, yeah. So, so I remember just going through like, Hey, what am I really, what is my, yeah. What's my responsibility here? And so what I eventually came to, and this helped a lot was thinking about what the alternatives were. And I realized very, not very quickly, it took me a while, which it shouldn't have, that my alternatives at that point from a company perspective was like, we were going to run out of money. And when a company runs out of money, like that's it. And everyone was going to go their separate ways. And I think once I got to the point of realizing that that was the most likely outcome, then I could start thinking about, okay, well, how can we add value to the worst possible outcome, which is the only alternative we have right now? Instead of thinking about it from a, here's what we wanted to do. We're not going to accomplish that. What are the concessions we're going to make? It was actually the opposite. It was like, okay, we're at the point where we're ready to walk away from this thing. What can we do to actually make it the best possible outcome for all of the stakeholders involved. Um, and so it was really just wrapping my head around this idea of sunk cost. I like talking about sunk cost cause it's one of those things that I find human psychology. We're just still so bad at really grasping, um, this idea of a sunk cost and, and really everything we had done to that point at that point was a sunk cost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we had a piece of software that people didn't want to use. And we had a team that was trying to sell a piece of software that people didn't want to use. And and we had spent all, like we had no money in the bank account of monies that people, sorry, money that people had given us. So like, what were we really worth in that moment? Um, And for me, writing out constantly helped me get there. And once I got to that point, which was a hard realization to come to, everything after that, was a complete psychological shift. And it was like, okay, now let's just do the most, like, let's do the very best we can. Yeah. Um, so it just comes back to clarity, I think, right? For sure. Like just taking the time to unpack on a layer by layer and just letting it, I often think of the mind as, as if you think of a physical room, right? Is, is the room jammed floor to ceiling with stuff? Right. And it's hard to see the path and navigate or see the light and, and whatnot our minds are the same thing. It's totally. Just, we can't see that. Totally. And, right? and, and like saying it out loud now, it sounds so obvious. I think one of the things for me about journaling is that it often leads you to the most obvious outcomes that when someone says, Oh, well, what do you get from journaling? You say these like super obvious things like, Oh, well our alternative was nothing. But like in reality, yeah. like you said, when there's so much clutter, yeah. that very clear objective truth is 
can really completely change the way that you look at the entire circumstance that you find yourself in. Totally, totally. Well, and I think like just to give give ourselves some credit as well, it's like when you're in these states of operating survival mode, it's really hard to make for sure decisions, right? Where yeah. like you're doing everything possible, and especially when you have the pressure and the emotions of there's a team there, there's you know people like you said, people you don't want to let down, all of that, right? Yeah, like that's those are real, real factors. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. And, and, and then there's like life things, right? Like I, my girlfriend who now fiance was like, is so, was so supportive the entire time, but like, she's also got to be saying like, like, what's the plan here? Like, like, like at what point do we say, Hey, like it's time to move on. Yeah. It's like, you haven't paid yourself for like 10 months. Like, like what is next? And so you're also battling, like, again, back to the responsibility thing, like as a founder, how much of what you've taken on is your responsibility? Are you supposed yeah. to just fight tooth and nail until, till when? What, what, what does that end look yeah. like? Is it as soon as you run out of money? No, well, of course not. Like that's just not long enough. You're not pushing hard enough. But I think there's a very dangerous game we play as founders of how far do I take this? Because you hear all of yeah. those success stories of, no, you just have to keep pushing a little bit harder and keep iterating a little bit more. And it's the third or fourth pivot when you've learned so much that it finally takes off. And so yeah. it, it's a, there's just no line. There's no way to draw the line and say, no, this is the appropriate time to end this thing. Um, and so I don't think there's a right answer and that's why it's so hard. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, but I think what helps is, uh, again, just asking yourself these questions and, and taking time to think, I mean, in, in my fuck up nights presentation, I called that slide the family meeting, right? <laughs> which was exactly that it was my wife was like, how long are we going to continue? Right. You know, down and it's so hard to put those yeah. posts, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's so many, the reason I'm, I was really excited to have this conversation with you is because like this is 90 plus percent of the cases for sure. And, <laughs> and no, no one, one talks, talks about, about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Like yeah. even, even the fact that I'd love to bring up just the Hopper story because even, even that story, I mean, you're super humble. You're super grateful guy. It, it's very clear and things have turned out in, in a great way, but this wasn't a story of like, you cashed in because a hopper acquired the company. Like, yeah, no, no, no. It was like, <laughs> do we have any other options right now? Yeah. And we didn't. And it turned out that one of the only options on the table was this super fortunate. Yeah. Event of like hopper wanting to expand to Toronto and start a new product and having an entrepreneurial founder who like values going through the failures and yeah. really championing that. Um, and being ready as an organization to say, hey, we can try to do multiple different things if we set up our org chart, right? So there were so many reasons that we got so lucky with this opportunity and it's worked out the way it has. Um, yeah, we can talk a little bit more about how we got there. I don't know if that's... Yeah, I mean, just, I guess, even even just going through the a little bit of the process, yeah, you don't sure. have to go in, in, in a ton of detail, mm -hmm. but just yeah, working so through some of that. So what happened was I wrote a letter to our investors and said, we're screwed. Yes, like I'm essentially, sure. yeah, essentially yeah. like, yeah, that's a good summary. Didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. And they like had an idea, but that was the first time that they started saying, okay, Hey, tell the finance team to write this investment off. Like that was the first time that it really got to that point. Okay. Um, 
And they said, great, what's the backup plan? And I said, yeah, well, we should start thinking about, hey, maybe there is an exit strategy here. I don't know. I started reading online. You read like in San Francisco, companies pay a million dollars for an engineer, but like that doesn't happen here. And so I just didn't really know what those options were. One of our investors who I met on a podcast I was on, that's why I always say yes to podcast <laughs> opportunities, was, um, was Sarah Downey, an incredible just I don't, mentor, almost friend now, like just anyways, an incredible person. Okay. And her venture capital fund was investors in Hopper. Okay. And she said, Hey, I want to introduce you to the Hopper guys. And I said, Hopper, I don't really get it. Their travel or food tech. I thought at the time that the only possible exit was going to be in sort of our industry domain. Sure. And she's like, just shut up and speak to Fred. Um, <laughs> and so yeah, I also had built a pretty good network with VCs in Toronto from trying to fundraise so many times. And so another investor in Hopper also, I sent them a note saying, hey, I'm actually chatting with Hopper. Um, I didn't tell them to drop a line, but that was sort of my intention. It's like, hey, maybe you'll drop a line and tell them that we're not too bad. Yeah. Um, and so when I, had, when I got finally to Fred, he had heard from a couple people in his corner that we were a team that sort of um, took a really good shot at it, had done things the right way, yeah. it didn't work out, timing wasn't right, yada, yada, yada. And so it allowed us to have a really awesome, it ended up being a three-hour conversation about, yeah, our journey, what we learned from that journey, how I thought about the mistakes we made and what we yeah. did right. And um, at that point, Fred sort of, said, Hey, like this is a interesting opportunity for us. We want to expand into Toronto. There's a new product we want to work on that we think an entrepreneurial team would be best suited to sort of take on separate and apart from the hopper, um, the hopper core. Um, and that they wanted to remind themselves and, and we've now continued to do this, remind themselves like what entrepreneurial speed and spirit looks like. That's and so Fred had the ability to see, Hey, like we don't want to become I don't want to name drop companies now, but we don't want to become one of those big, slow moving enterprise companies. We yeah. want to continue to move fast. And as you get to 200 employees, which is where Hopper was, you start to lose that edge. Yeah. And so he felt that it would be a great opportunity just to bring us in and just allow us to run and sort of set the bar of what speed looks like. Um, How are you managing? Because I mean, on the other side, there's also, it's not like you're coming into them with, hey, you know, we're at the top of our game with like, with feedback. Yeah. It's like, the next step is it's done. Yeah. You know, how yeah. do you manage it's, that kind of leverage? It's a lack of leverage. <laughs> I was going to say, lever I wish. So it was interesting because I um, decided once I spoke to Fred, I realized, hey, one second here, there's actually this interesting path of not an acquisition, not just a failure and everyone going their separate direction. There's this middle ground that no one seemed to talk about. Let's call it an aqua hire. Yeah. And, <laughs> Once I realized that, I treated an exit strategy like a sales process and I started doing like cold outreach to like everyone you could imagine who I thought may yeah. be interested in us. And one particular person I reached out to on LinkedIn um, happened to have a really cool food tech startup that was doing dynamically priced reservations that was sort of in line with mm -hmm. where we were. Uh, we had a couple chats and they got excited about sort of having us be the team expand for them in Toronto. and we got a like term sheet, a loose term sheet from them. Oh, and okay. so I realized very early on the importance of not saying, Hey, end of August is the timeline because we're going to run out of money, which they knew. And I was really transparent about, I, I was not like trying to 
posture. Like that was not the, sure. the route. Um, and they could see it in my body language. But at the same time, I needed to have some BATNA, best alternative to a negotiated agreement on the table so that there was a little bit of leverage there. Not enough, but a little bit of leverage yeah. there. And so that helped tremendously going through that is not just having one option, but sort of having this backup plan. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, so what's, you know, just fast forwarding now. Yeah. Um, like what's your, what, what do your days look like today? Yeah. So very similar to how they looked before, except a lot less BS. Like there's no accounting and payroll and legal. Yeah. Um, so what does that mean? That's not a very good answer. What that means is it's been a lot of hiring right now. Like we're trying to build out a team. And so thinking about what hiring looks like, it's doing sales, not like not CRM, like BDR sales, but like starting to think about sales strategy and then doing those initial oh, outreaches okay. and getting the sort of first customers in the door. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it's doing a lot of product stuff and getting myself very involved in the product side of things. Again, I'll never be the detail-oriented in JIRA ticketing person. Um, Just bringing back so many memories. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I'll never be that person. Yeah. And, and I actually, early on in our feedback journey, the first thing we did is we hired a product manager and I, that was one of the best things we could have done because yeah. I think founders should be good product people. I was not that. And so bringing on a product person, Casey, was just so... Um, yeah, it was huge early on. And yeah. so he's still now with us as our product person. He's incredible. Okay. Um, so yes, yeah, for you, for you, for your mind and, you know, business aside, just like, mm -hmm. I guess, just going through this whole process, you mentioned obviously the passion planner has been a, a pretty big yep. routine. I know at the, at the talk, you had mentioned a bit about headspace, I think for meditation. Yeah. I use calm actually calm, it okay. is, has been mine. Um, and now I'm just using insights timer, which is sort of like an unpaid version. I don't know. Yeah. I actually just started using it this week. Actually. They actually still, they have a freemium model that they didn't used to have. So, yeah. but I'm using the free version. Um, yeah, I, I think like I said it at that talk, um, I feel really lucky to have found like meditation and it became faddish, honestly, like yeah, it like, yeah. became faddish at a really good time. I'm not an early adopter. That's never yeah. been who I am. And so I think the fact that it started just to trickle into the mainstream was enough for me to try. Like I'm open to trying anything. It's yeah. like 10 minutes a day whenever I'm pitching my family, which I've now stopped doing. John Kabat-Zinn always says like, you don't, don't, preach man yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I've stopped that but at the beginning when I was like oh my god this is changing my life I was telling everyone no oh, you need to start meditating I was that annoying person um, <laughs> and uh, where was I? I lost my thought I when I was when I just oh it was sort of faddish um, yeah. I found it it was um, transformative for me I know that sounds like dramatic um, it's real though yeah Journaling is like that for me. It's right. Been, it's it's like I mentioned before we hit record. It, it, it's the thing that pulled me out of the spiral when we had to shut Keo down. Totally. And, and and I love like I think a lot of us now in today's day and age, you need that sort of instant gratification. And so I think that's one of the challenges some people have with meditation. But I think because of what I was going through, there was moments every single hour of every single day to like feel myself. Yeah. feel my, yeah, whatever, myself pull, pull whatever I was thinking, pull myself out of what I was thinking. Because yeah. um, you can see it. Right. That's the difference. It, it's right there. Yeah. It's so, yeah. so visual. And so I, I always say like the easiest time for me is when I'm driving. Like I'm yeah. used to be just like, like I remember sitting in traffic and being like so frustrated that I was sitting in traffic. 
And then the simple, again, this sounds like something like this objective obvious, but like you can't change anything. And yeah. you're using Google Maps, so you know you're going the fastest possible yeah, exactly. route because it already has measured the traffic. You are going the fastest possible route. What is the point of creating that stress and anxiety? Yeah. It's like, whoa. And so if yeah. you can, those little moments of clarity for me were like, wow, this is actually just like changing yeah. the way that I, yeah, see the world. And so, um, so I've continued that. I've always said like, I want to be better. I'm probably like three and a half, four days a week. I want to be at seven. I haven't turned it into that daily, daily habit yet. Sure. Um, but anything I'm, else you want to try that's like on your radar in, in this realm? Um, slightly different realm. I'm like, I'm a big, I've gone to a couple Nordic spas and like, I love an ice cold bath. Yeah, um, yeah, I love the hot cold therapy. I haven't started to think about how to incorporate that into daily life. Like I haven't had the kahunas to like do a cold shower every morning yet. I yeah. just haven't, although I want to, um, but I do love cold ice therapy. Have you tried the breath work with it? Yeah. Yeah. Of course. The breathing exercises yeah, before. Stuff. Yeah. Wim Hof. Exactly. Yeah, yeah totally. So that's I, like instant. Right. That's what, uh, that's what I like about that. And, and I, I find myself sometimes going into a bit of a meditation without an app. At yeah. And cause you're so still. Yeah. It's just quiet. I need to do more of that. Honestly, I've done it like three or four times once like with a sort of a practitioner leading, leading oh, it. And it was yeah. like, that was super powerful. And then I've tried to do it a couple times and just have went yeah. out. I'm a, I, Yoga is my form of exercise. That's a really okay. big one for me. It feels quite meditative. Yeah. Um, so I do a lot of yoga. That's really my only, yeah, my only real exercise. And then, um, I don't know. I, I feel very right now. I don't know what I can or cannot say, but I feel right now like I'm in a really good mental state. But like ayahuasca has always been interesting and, and like, a, okay, maybe when I'm feeling like I'm missing some clarity, I feel very good right now. And I don't believe that I need to sort of shake things up, which is obviously what, from my understanding, ayahuasca will do, but it's definitely something that I would be open to doing yeah. at one point in my life. Yeah. You know what I love about this, Ben, is I remember at the talk, I, I asked a question and it was something to the fact of, you know, what, you know, what are you doing for your mind or what were you doing for your mind? And you, you answered the question, um, very humbly again, coming from, you know, a really good family upbringing and support there and your fiance and whatnot. And I think you just kind of mentioned in passing, there's a bit of meditation and I'm looking, there's yoga, breath work, meditation, <laughs> journaling, like this, and uh, this is not to put you on the spot. This yeah. is just to, sh cause I've had this happen so many times yeah. when interviewing people. They're like, I don't think I really do anything. Right. And we actually all do many different things, yeah. right? And yeah. it's, I, I just love that you shared all of this yeah. because no, it's the true. practices with your perspective and the context of your life and the work that you're doing, that's what makes it powerful, mm -hmm. right? Like anyone can do this stuff. Yeah. Right? And you know what? I think that I also found that from like, like I, I tried to read more and more. I just started a book club actually, which I'm really excited oh, about. Cool. But I find that when you read about people and I'm, I'm not like a like my sisters get really excited about celebrities. I like feel so bad for people who are like famous. Like yeah. they don't. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I think that when you look at people who are highly successful as our society defines it, let's not go down that rabbit sure, hole today. Sure. Um, that so many of them are doing these things and they, they talk about it in passing. And I yeah. think that it's, the reason I talk about it in passing is not because I'm like holding on to this secret. Yeah, it's because people just need to find it 
yeah. genuinely themselves and yeah. otherwise it just doesn't stick. And I found that from trying to preach meditation on my family. Like none of them meditate still yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they've probably done harm because they're like, Oh, here he goes, Ben, yeah. here he goes again. Um, and so, yeah. Well, you just nailed the purpose or the reason why this podcast exists is because, you know, it, your interview number 153, I think now over the last two years and for sure, it could sit here and be like, "Hey, get up at five o'clock, meditate, do cold or hot cold therapy, and then journal and go to work. Like you'll feel great." Right. You probably will, but that's not going to work right. for you. Totally. It has to, like so. The whole idea is like, let's have these conversations. Let's see yeah. what other people are doing, and, and be like, "Oh, you know what? That that the breath work. I could I could pick that up, or yeah. I could do the whole reflection in the commute home." Right. You know, and it's just just starting it. Mm -hmm. Right. For sure. Um, no, it's so true. And reading is another really good one. Yeah. Um, there's something about getting lost in in reading a book that just can't be replaced by anything. I think what's interesting about a podcast, listening to podcasts, is that you actually are challenged more, especially like when you're on the subway. Yeah. How often do you have to like go back for a minute or 30 seconds because yeah. you lose yourself? So that it gives you that sort of meditative challenge of like really being there and present with it. With a book, it kind of just engulfs you and brings you in, yeah. at least a good book. Um, reading fiction or nonfiction or both? I want to read more fiction. Yeah. I've mostly been reading nonfiction, but I want to, I want to start reading. That's why I started the book club is to read more okay. fiction. Yeah. Cause I, I need people to inspire me and like, I need to hold myself accountable. Like we were talking about is you, you gotta, I believe in like giving yourself these little shortcuts to develop good habits. And so yeah. again, like Kindle, this is a great one. Like I love the idea. I want to be the kind of person that only picks up physical books and, and turns the pages and talks about the smell of a book. But I bought a Kindle because at the end of the day, I read mostly on the subway yeah. or when I'm in bed at the end of the night with my girlfriend and she's sleeping. And so the Kindle has allowed me to read more. Yeah. And so while I want to have a physical book, if I'm going to use this shortcut, quote unquote, to be able to read 60% more, take the shortcut. Like yeah. I, I'm a believer in just taking that shortcut and hopefully developing the habit till eventually you find a way to get back to paper books. But anyways, I just want to, reading is, is enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've had that exact narrative in my head, <laughs> yeah. exact use case. So I, I, yeah. I support, and I'm doing the same as you. <laughs> um, I'd love to just get a few reflective questions from you that you feel, I mean, you provided a few obviously from the passion planner, but is there anything that sticks out um, that you whether you're journaling on them or just mm -hmm. thinking about them, um, you know, on a frequent basis or when mm -hmm. you have to make big decisions, just let, you know. Yeah. So know. Th this is a little bit unrelated to that, but I think it's still an interesting one that I've thought a lot about lately. And it's sort of the, the continuum of working hard and like your job being like taking over your life versus yeah. like working to live. There's like sort of two different mentalities or two different camps. And I find that everyone's generally in the extreme. There's like uh, Jason, Jason Fried, is it? The base camp oh, guy? Yeah, Freed, yeah. Freed, yeah, Jason yeah. Freed. Amazing, love like love, right. Amazing content, love Jason Freed. Read again. Um, and base camp. Okay, 40 hours a week, why do we need more than that? Yeah, yeah. And then on the end of the spectrum, there's, I don't know, maybe it's Ray Dalio or, or, who, or uh, Gary Vee, right? It's yeah. like, 90 hour weeks, like, like that's the only way to get ahead. And I think I've been thinking a lot about what I want my life to look like when it comes to my interaction between work and life. And I believe that we, um, we work too much for it to be simply a means to an end. But I also think that the only reason we're on this planet is to like enjoy ourselves in some capacity and, sure. and live a fulfilling, satisfying life that hopefully touches the lives of many others. And so 
yeah, that, that balance is always something I'm thinking about as I continue okay. in my, my journey. Um, what other sort of reflective questions? I think the big one, and, and hopefully I've been trying to like just say it more and more, it's really um, this idea of, of gratitude and making sure not only we realize what we're grateful for, but we voice it to people. I find that I have a terrible habit of talking so nicely behind people's backs and realizing <laughs> that I never actually say it to them. Like I'm a Canadian. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> I say like, like my little sister, like sometimes feels like we have like tension in our relationship. And I was like, I've been saying so many nice things about you. What? And she's like, no, you haven't. And I was like, oh yeah, you're right. I've only said that to other people. And then you get the, yeah, the butt end of, of whatever I'm feeling. Yeah. And so I think really making sure that like we, that. yeah, we think about, um, and then I had one other one. Um, right. Oh yeah. I, I, Again, I don't think this is actually what you were looking for. I should have thought more about it, but no, I, think, I think the idea of luck, I, I'm, um, one of the podcasts that I like is how I built this. Yeah. Um, and at the end of every single segment, the question is luck or hard work? Yeah. Like which one do you think contributed to your success? And I actually hate that question um, because I think that what it does is it, it like draws a line and says hard work and work ethic is different skill is like different than luck. And the conversation around luck is to me such a fascinating one. It's like, where does luck, like, where do you, where does luck really come in? Like yeah. you earn your luck, like you open doors and then luck yeah, yeah. kind of hits you. But like, I was born into a family in Canada with loving parents who made me do my homework, which helped me develop a work ethic. Like that's all luck. Like yeah. my work ethic is not a product of like me. And then eventually you get to the point where you're like, okay, now we're just talking about like straight determinism and like really we have no control over anything yeah. and here we are just going through the motions. And like then that's also, then you end up becoming, you you give people the excuse to be able to not actually take any accountability. And so sure. anyways, I, I love thinking about luck and where luck begins and where it ends and um, yeah, how it I, I listen to that podcast too and it's, I, I find it amazing that and maybe it's because of the very reason you, you just described, but everyone answers it in such different ways. Right. right. So different. And to me, like maybe that's a really good question or maybe it's a really bad question. And the more I think about it, it's like, I, I just don't like how that question is structured anyways. Um, Love it. Other self-reflective questions. Just on the luck, would you, would you phrase that as like, what does luck mean to me? Yeah. Yeah. What does luck mean to you? And like, what do you give yourself credit for versus what do you, what do you more, uh, you don't have to necessarily, yeah. What, what do you feel like was gifted to you in some way, shape or form? Yeah. Love it. Well, this is good. I mean, I've, I've got plenty. You don't have to uh, <laughs> list out 10. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, and if people want more, there's the, there's, they can pick up the passion planners. I know those are still out there. Yeah. I follow their accounts and whatnot. Um, and there's, there's hundreds of obviously prompts on this podcast. I just want to thank you for, for being so open with your story and just having a, a real conversation about it. I mean, we've met twice now and I, I don't think there's any other way you, you, you personally could have this conversation just knowing your character <laughs> now. So, um, but I still want to thank you because I think that that does go a long way to help others yeah. and, and just know anyone that's out there, you know, as an entrepreneur founder or just questioning life things in general, you know, you're not alone, yeah. obviously. And 
you know, there's there's a lot of things out there and a lot of tools and questions and, and whatnot that can help. So, mm-hmm. so you, thank you. My pleasure, Mark. And, and as you were talking, obviously, I was thinking like I shouldn't be. And one other <laughs> really important one actually did come up, which is what's stopping you from doing it right now? Whatever it is, you're, yeah. you're thinking about doing something and you've pushed it back a week or two weeks or two months or two years. And... And people, family, girlfriend gets very annoyed when I ask them this question because it's a really obnoxious question to ask someone when they're like struggling with something that's difficult. But like, I know for me, making the jump into feedback and now ending up where we did, which has been an overall a really great sort of journey. um, I look back to that moment when we sort of took this leap and had no real idea what we were doing. And the only reason I got there was because I asked myself that question. It's like, what, why are you waiting two yeah. more years? Or why are you going to do this after uh, another degree or whatever it is? Um, and I realized that for me, it was just like the fear of failure, which is what we're all scared of in some way, shape or form. And, and once you get there and hopefully can remove yourself again from the ego side of it a bit, I, I just feel like people will start doing what's more aligned with yeah, with who they are and what they want to be doing and, and hopefully can, yeah, inspire people to, to take that scary leap. Anyways, Love it. That's a yeah. great way. That's a great way to end this. I'm, I'm going to leave it on that prompt for everyone listening. Just, you know, is there something right now that's, that you're, you're putting a roadblock up for yourself, essentially what's stopping you from doing it right now? Great, great question. Thank you so much and have the best day yet. Thanks a lot, Mark. Mark.